the book of Acts, written by Luke, in the fourth chapter. So what we see in this section of the history of the church is we see the clash of Christianity and religion. And that's what he's talking about. We see the formality of the Sadducees, and there were some very good points that were made last week relative to what happens not only then, as we see it historically, but what happens today, right? In the clash between religion and Christianity. Two very different things, then and now. And so they were struggling through this, and how were Peter and John struggling through this clash of, of their faith in Christ, their calling on their lives, and their empowerment by the Holy Spirit, and they were exposed to this, to religion, the formality and the structure of religion, and how does that manifest itself in, in chapter 4? Well, they were arrested. They were arrested. Yep. They went up before the Sanhedrin, which is, as we were thinking about it last week, in vernacular that would be common to us, kind of like a joint session of Congress and the Mafia all rolled into one. <laughs> no difference. There's no difference. Kind of like today. <laughs> so given the fact that that's what they were exposed to, it was, we, we were looking last week at, at really kind of their bravery, and it, it, I, I really appreciated the conversation last week, because the question was, were, were they brave, or was this just the empowerment of, of the Spirit, giving them the words to speak? Uh, you know, we, we, we looked at that last week, and, and it was, it's really powerful, because we determined that biblically the same spirit, the same infilling spirit is in, has infilled each one of us. But it's the full appropriation as they were before the Sanhedrin. Because the consequence for them could have been death. We equate that to bravery, don't we? Interesting. I wanted to start back because I wanted to dive in just a little bit deeper at the end of chapter 4 before we get into a whole nother phase of the history of the church that Luke starts in chapter 5, which is really challenging for the early church, <laughs> chapter 5. There's a yikes moment that happens in chapter 5. There's a lot of yikes moments in all of the book of Acts. But if you'll turn to Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23, I just wanted to kind of go back over this in just a little bit more depth because I think it's, again, important for what happens next. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23. In fact, Susan, would you read verses 23 through 31 through the end there? On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. 
Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your Holy Spirit, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Interesting, in the history of the church, they had just gotten, they got booted out, didn't they, of the Sanhedrin, because the Sanhedrin couldn't do anything to them. Because in the Sanhedrin, they were, what was the Sanhedrin concerned about? This gathering of 72. Rioting. Rioting. Why were they concerned about rioting? The Romans. Because, well, the, the Romans? Well, they would lose what, their status. Oh, yeah, they would lose their status. They would lose their status with the Romans. Okay, good. And so what happened was there was a, there was a lot of threat going on here. And what was threatened? I just want to, I want to make sure that we understand. What, what was the threat? It's just Peter and John, for God's sakes. What was the threat? Their authority. Their, what else? Besides their authority. Their way of life. Their laws. The Sanhedrin I'm talking about. They were threatened by John and, and Peter by what had just taken place, the healing of this, of this paralytic, right? And they were threatened, so they brought them in, they arrested them, and they were going to deal with them, and they figured out they, they, they really didn't have much to go on here because they were concerned about what the outcome was going to be because there had been all these people that had come to Christ and the church had just exploded. And so now they were, they were, they were really concerned about all this, and so their, their authority was, was in jeopardy here, okay? And what else? The spread of the church. The spread of the church, and so what was the, more, more specifically, what was the threat to the Sanhedrin? The miracle that was performed in healing the man. Okay, that was threatening. What else was threatening? The well, Roman's job was to keep the peace among the Jews. Okay. And if there was rioting, they were afraid that the Romans would hold them culpable for... There's a huge component there because we have in the Sanhedrin, we have Sadducees and Pharisees. Now, the Sadducees, we know, were the ruling class and the Pharisees were more of the... Of the, 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 the they kind of were the, the teaching class, if you will. But what happened was they were threatened. Their authority was threatened. But what else was threatened with these groups? Their popularity. Their popularity, clearly. They control, control, manipulation, and power. Okay? See, that's what they were about. Mm -hmm. That was the clash of the religion versus this, this new thing. This, see, because... Peter just preached Jesus. It was about Jesus. They were hearing about Jesus. And Peter told them three times up to this point, and I, I'm, I just want to drive this home. Three times up to this point, Peter said, and you killed him. <laughs> That's pretty bold. Okay? And you killed him. Well, they did. 
Yeah, and you killed him. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the Sanhedrin and I, I'm being accused of, 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 of killing. Because what, what were they waiting for? They were Jews. They were waiting for the Messiah. Peter said, yeah, the Messiah came and you killed him. I'm not sure. That, that, no, I am sure. I'm, in fact, I'm quite sure that was a very unpopular message to them because their authority was now in question, their power, because the Sanhedrin especially, this, the, this, the Sadducees were the ruling class. This is, uh, do, you see, do you see how, how powerful this is to this whole ruling class? Yeah, yeah and, it, and it should sound pretty darn familiar to us, like if you read the newspaper this morning. <laughs> Seriously. It's a threat. It's a threat because there were two diametrically opposed points of view here. One with the truth and one without it. And the one without it is incredibly threatened. That's the setup, okay, for what's going to happen next. And so, and so what he says is that he, he goes back in verse 23. They go back, and what's the first thing that they do when they get, they get out of there? They, they weren't really punished too much. They got a little, by biblical standards, Peter and John got a slap on the wrist. And then what did they do? To, yeah, to, to, they went to their own, it says. The history of the church, and they had their first conflict, their first run-in with the religious elite, powerful, manipulative, wealthy, elitists, religionists, legalists, and they had this run-in, and they got this slap on the wrist, and they they immediately went back to their own and reported what was going on. I, we can't we can't lose sight of what, what's going on here. Do you see? Do you see the koinonia? Do you see the fellowship? Do you see the Do you see the believers all coming together here? I mean, this was. You see the familial nature of what's happening here. Man, there was an us and them thing going on big time. And one side had the truth, and the other side didn't. interesting because in verse 24 it says when they heard this they raised they raised their voices together what does that mean they were all one. huh they were all one and they were all praying and it was spontaneous and it was i mean this was a this was a born again spirit filled believers heaven okay I think it was unlike, I don't like to pick on the body cones, but I think it was unlike the body cones first experience in their communal living experience. Um, because I think that the power of the spirit was being appropriated by 100% of these. It was a different dispensation. There was, there, there was something different about this, wasn't there? And the way you've explained your experience, which was a beautiful thing. I know I'm not discounting that at all. I'm just trying to draw the distinction between what was happening in the first century. These people were, there was a communal sense to this. And they, it says biblically that they were together. They had everything in common. It was, uh, and, and it was, this was, this was hugely spirit-led. What sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. 
That's a pretty profound thing to say because, by the way, the word for Lord here, sovereign Lord, the word Lord here in the Greek is the word um, that, that means owner or master as opposed to supreme authority. It's a slightly different word, and I love that. They came back from the Sanhedrin. They had just gotten their hands slapped. They were emboldened. They were filled with the Spirit, clearly. They went back to their people. They raised their voices together in spontaneous prayer. And then they said, Sovereign Owner. Have you ever thought about Christ? Our Savior as owner? Because that's what the Greek word means in this case. Powerful. Very powerful. And then, of course, he says that they spoke to uh, the Holy Spirit through the, through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And he's just referring to, to David when he wrote in Psalm 2-2. That's where that came from. He's just referring to that. And then he said, the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one, speaking truth. And indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus underline that one if you want to your holy servant Jesus who you anointed and then and then here's a big one verse 28 they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen somebody please provide a little commentary on that John you know I like to always personalize these things I like to put myself in these people's position can you imagine half this room saw Jesus Christ raised from the dead. The other half were consumed with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. They saw one miracle after another. You talk about, would you be bold? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if my heart could stand it. I mean, so many great things were happening. I mean, the Holy Spirit was just every day demonstrating to them the through miracles and through you know, the exposition of himself and them being emboldened and, and so forth. That is just unbelievable. We think of it that way, don't we? We try. I try. But I still think the $64,000 question is, is it, is it any different? Yeah. No. It is not really <clears throat> different. But we tend to put that, we project that onto the first century church and these people that were emboldened. And, 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 and I love my sister, Brenda, and she always allows me to do this because that's a woman that's emboldened. I've seen it firsthand. And she's, she's an evangelist, you know, and I've seen her in action. And I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm in sometimes even in awe of it because she just, she, she'll just share Jesus with you. Right at the drop of a hat, won't you? And and that's bold, you see. And that's that's a spirit-filled woman that the, waiting for the opportunity like Peter did. Peter saw the opportunity. He took it. And I love that. That's my sister Brenda. And I've, I've learned from her how to be even more emboldened. Because I, sometimes I don't... I want to be careful how I... I have the experience today out at the well. And I wasn't as... After I got done, I thought about... I wasn't as bold... As, as naturally <laughs> a Brenda is when I've seen her share the gospel with somebody. Interesting. It's interesting. But it's, there's no difference. 
And then in, in verse 28, he says that they did, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. I, I still want to know what that means. Omniscient. Huh? Omniscient. Okay. God is omniscient. Let me get some more sovereignty. God is sovereign. Predestined. Well, this was, this was, is that what beforehand means? Predestined. No, this is something that God had planned from the very beginning. Mm. And they were just following through and following prophecy. Old Testament prophets had, had said that this was going to happen. He was just a fan. Mm. God's plan. Yeah, verse 25, 6, 7, and 8 are all kind of tied together there, aren't they, in terms of pro- prophetic uh, rumblings. Talking about David in the Psalms. Mm-hmm. I love the Psalms. And he and he's and then he's talking about what happened. Now this history writer Luke is giving us even more history to support what was happening historically. I got three histories all at once here. It's really interesting. And then he says, "Now, Lord," which means, "Okay, man." I mean, after all of this, <laughs> that's what "now, Lord" means. Okay, after all of this, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I wonder why he said that. Because I just read what they did was pretty bold. What's he praying? I think it's an affirmation, basically, of, of how the Lord had blessed him, healing the uh, the uh, man who couldn't walk, and, and uh, I think it's an affirmation of, of uh, acknowledging God's power through them. Okay. There's an, there is, in one sense, an acknowledgement. And specifically, in the context, starting in verse 24, what are they doing? Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. 29. 29, sorry. <laughs> well, obviously... I was reading in Luke. So obviously, Peter was very bold, but they were basically praying that everybody... They were what? They were praying that everybody would be enabled with the boldness. That's it. They were praying. See, this whole context, the context here is they were praying. They were praying. Sovereign Lord, it's about God's sovereignty. They understood God's sovereignty. These are spirit-filled people. They understood His sovereignty, and they, they immediately said, they acknowledged who He was. Sovereign Lord, you made it all. And Lord means owner. You get it? Okay. Sovereign owner of everything, including me. <laughs> that's, the, that's the paraphrase. Uh, and, and then they're just, they're praying. And the prayer includes Old Testament truth, historically. And it concludes with asking for enablement to, to speak what? Speak what boldly? (sighs) To speak your word boldly. I love that. After they had just... See, I'm reading this, guys. I don't know about you. But I'm reading through this and I'm thinking, now Peter, this is the same guy that used to stick his foot in his mouth all the time. (laughs) The same guy. And now, and now he's empowered. He's emboldened. He's filled with the Spirit. And he is going out and he's doing nothing more than just being obedient and faithful and yet, they're praying for all of the all servants, including himself, 
to speak your word with great boldness. I love that. I just love that because I see I had a misconception. In my mind, that he already was bold. And I'm thinking, man, he's, got, he's courageous, he's bold, he's, he's in front of these... I mean, that's the mafia and, and you know, the House and the Senate. Yeah, and he doesn't see it that way. He's praying for more boldness, considering the threats of the people that were threatened. And he's praying for more boldness. I love that. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Last week when we looked at that very quickly, we, we saw that that, thing, that was a really loaded sentence, wasn't it? Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Because what had the Sanhedrin told them not to do? Just that. <laughs> Anything in the name of Jesus. Okay, we got a group that's got the truth. They're called Christians. We got a group that doesn't have the truth. They're called religion. And then, Scripture tells us that they were told not to ever do anything in the name of Jesus. But what did they do? <laughs> they did it anyway. Then it says... After they prayed, Olivia. Mm-hmm. I've been waiting patiently. <laughs> so they all got done praying. <laughs> hmm. The place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You had a question. Yes. Weren't they already filled with the Holy Spirit? These, it says he went back to his own, which you would think these were the people that had already been saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. They were all believers. There was a group of believers together. They were all they were all born again, as Jesus said, <laughs> and spirit-filled. It sounded like they did. They were filled again. Okay, let's, it, it sounds like that, but let's deconstruct that just a little bit. Let's do that. After they prayed, what happened? What happened the next? Place was shaken. The place was shaken. What happened the first time we we found out at, at Pentecost? What happened? There was a, there was a noise, and there was there was somehow tongues of fire, whatever whatever that represents. I don't know. I can only read it. So there's another physical. Uh, okay. A physical. Clearly. Happened. Yeah, I have an under uh, underline in, in, in my notes. So the place where they were meeting were, was shaken. Mm-hmm. Grammatically, take a look at it. What's after the word shaken? Period. Pardon me. Period. period. Is there a period in yours? Well, there's a period there, but no. it says and. Okay. They were all punctuation wise. Yeah, I'm sorry. Ands <laughs> are kind of like butts, and therefore, I, I like them all. But it's a period. So grammatically, the place was shaken, and they were all filled with the spirit. So what does shaken mean in the Greek? Shaken, I think. I don't know. I didn't bring my lexicon, <laughs> but you could look it up. 
So, are you following it? There was an event. It was very physical. The same as, or similar to what happened when they were filled with the Spirit on Pentecost. And then there's a period grammatically. And what doesn't it say? It doesn't say the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled again with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean grammatically? We're reading it in the English. They were all in one accord. It ties into being in one accord. What else? Immovable. Okay, immovable. But I'm I'm speaking specifically about the about the about the sentence that starts and the pre-existing fulfillment of the Holy Spirit made them speak boldly. Pre-existing. Okay, let's follow that. What you're to follow the thinking, rather than me just telling you what what they I read about it. I know you want the answer. I know you want the answer. They had answered prayer because they had requested of in their prayer <coughs> previously to be filled and be bold. Any English majors in the group? You're a numbers guy, John. You're not an English guy. <laughs> because let's answer Olivia's question grammatically. They were already filled with the Spirit when they spoke the Word of God boldly. They, okay, they were already filled with the Spirit. Is that a good paraphrase to explain the grammar? Mm-hmm. Shaken is present tense, right? Forget the shaken. Don't, don't, let me, don't let me slap you down here, but let's not go shaken. Let's go filled. <laughs> let's go filled. When you're earnestly praying for something, you become very... Uh, submitted and open to what you're asking for. Okay. And I think that the believers, as they were pleading God, it sounds like they're, they were determined that, that the only way they could speak boldly was if they yielded and the Spirit of God would, would empower them. That's great. Let's follow that. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Similar to what you just said, they were already filled with the Holy Spirit. They were seeking, they were appropriating what they already have because Luke is merely stating a factual condition. There was something happening in that room. There was a, there was a, there was a supernatural event that was happening in this room. I don't know, it was shaken. And they were all filled with the Spirit. It's like, still. Go ahead. What's... What's the tense? Present. Past. Is it present? Present and past. When the worship okay, team, present the worship and past. I love it. An example. The worship team was up here okay. playing. When we all became Christians, we were filled with this Holy Spirit. When we're up here playing, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So you could say, and the worship team was up here filled, filled with the Spirit. We were filled with the Spirit playing right. worship music. That's right. And the Wednesday nighters were at yes, Bible study for Acts, and, and, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. I just want to make sure it didn't mean that it came in. Yeah. That's a long explanation for that answer, yeah. isn't it? A yes or no would have survived. You're never going to forget it. You're never going to forget it. But could it also be that the numbers were being added daily and hourly to this group? And maybe some had just began to be filled with it. I know, but I would have said... Why don't we think about it it this way? 
grammatically. They were already filled with the Spirit. So in this sense, they were all together and they were, they were like over, overwhelmed or overtaken or emboldened. They were controlled by, okay? Not filled again. So the grammar matters, doesn't it? And the words matter. We're told to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So that walking in the Spirit, as Pastor Bitchy often says, requires some uh, seeking and uh, uh, disciplines of uh, uh, examining our own heart and, and allowing the Spirit to empower us and allowing the Spirit uh, to, uh, to, to move us. And uh, I've, I've had times when I felt so that the Holy Spirit, in the sense of my, the boldness, was much greater and more powerful than other times. And it's been exciting. Mm-hmm. But uh, I had the full Holy Spirit in my life, but I, I uh, uh, experienced uh, the fullness in, in new ways, you know. This is an answer to prayer in a very similar way. They had just prayed. They had just prayed. Considering the threats from the Sanhedrin, they had just prayed that they would be enabled to speak the, the word with great boldness. And, and then Luke, historically, just telling us historically what happened. He said, and then after they prayed, the, the place shook supernaturally and they were all filled with the Spirit, meaning they were overwhelmed. There was a sense that they were at that place where they were together they had appropriated 100% of the spirit that was already in them. See, that's what we struggle with, isn't it? Because when Scripture says, be in step with the spirit, how many hours of the day today were you completely filled with the spirit? All of them so far. How much of the day today had you, have you, up to this point, just today, since you've been awake this morning, how much of time have you been, have you appropriated 100% of, of, of the Spirit of God that is in you? <laughs> well, I think verse 32, where it says all the believers were in one heart and mind. So if you can imagine a room filled with people who are emboldened by the Holy Spirit, what type of power is there? Appropriating the fullness. Mm-hmm. Right. And speaking, given the words to speak, it says that they were speaking boldly. Okay? They spoke the word of God boldly. These were uneducated, unprepared, unorganized. Every I mean, people. all kinds of different people from all kinds of different places speaking all kinds of different languages. Many of them didn't even live in Jerusalem. Remember, they were there at Pentecost and they just stayed. They're, they're in a communal situation here. And, they, and then this whole thing is set up for verse 32 that says all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. See, here's the, here's the, communal, here's the communal activity that, that we today go... Never again! <laughs> some of us would say that. And some of us think, but that's the way God designed it! 
And then at the same time, those of us that have been in a communal situation would say, but never again! I can't do it. I can't go there. Okay. There's a pressure constant, right? But this is, um, this is the church. This is the history of, 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 of God's church. This is the history. He put them together supernaturally, empowered, not built again, but appropriated fully. And they were all together in one heart, in one mind, that none of their possessions were their own. It's a beautiful thing, man. I mean, this is a beautiful thing. It's a picture of heaven. That's what it is. See, we can't do it now because we're screwed up like the Chinese fire drill. But we, when we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, this is what it's going to look like. Because that was God's design. And supernaturally, he's doing it with all these misfits. There's thousands of them now. And Peter is the leader of the group. One of the biggest misfits of the whole, the, the whole group. And he's in charge. God put him in charge supernaturally. And they, they had everything in common. And there was no needy person among them because, they, because they, they were owned by Jesus. That's what it said earlier. Lord, sovereign Lord, sovereign owner, owner of my life. You own everything. Remember? And now they're all together. It's a crazy beautiful thing that we have a hard time comprehending because we're so private. I'm going to tell you my stuff. Because my stuff is my stuff. But they were telling each other their stuff. Because it didn't matter. See, to them it didn't matter. And the reason I can't tell you my stuff is because I don't appropriate fully all of the spirit that is already in me. I'm holding on to enough of my stuff that I'm not going to let you in on the stuff that I don't want you to know. I'm more private about that. Huh? Isn't that... I mean, come on, that's the way we operate. But that's not the way they were operating. See, there was no needy person among them, verse 34. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, listen, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And then check this out. Joseph a Levite from... Where is he from? Cyprus. It's right down the street here. Cyprus. In that way, isn't it? Ah, the different Cyprus. A Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and bought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. What do you see happening here? Because, because there's a reality check that's just about to happen to the church. But what's happening right here, right now, in the church, in the first century? Oh, these people are all in. <laughs> these people, they get somehow, supernaturally, the spirit that is infilling these people is fully appropriated. And man, they know they're not their own. They are totally committed. They... We would say today they're all in, together. They like get it. It reminds me of Jesus, and he was hanging around with the, you know, with the boys, and they they just so struggled. They didn't get it, but all of a sudden they get it. In the power of the Spirit, they get it. Appropriating the Spirit, being in step with the Spirit. See, this is good and powerful because, as Robert said, what happens when you're in that place 
the, the infrequently as I'm in that place personally, when I when I'm in that place and and I and I and I and I go there and I and I I am outside of myself because I just want to be in step with the spirit. It's it's crazy what happens. There's emotion attached to that sometimes, isn't there? There's a it's a it's a wonderful thing. I say and do things sometimes that that that. hard to explain, I guess, sometimes. And that's... They were like this all the time. I got a couple of tiny little pieces of it once in a while, maybe. That's what they were living this way. And so, look at the transformation. They were generous. They were selfless. They were all in. They were sold out. What about us? I like the commentary too that Luke says here in verse 33. He says, "And great grace was upon them all, because what they were praying for, they realized that only God in His goodness and grace could make happen, and they were, they were, they wanted it. They 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 wanted to receive this so so much, and God, they didn't deserve it, but God gave it. To them. And God gave it to them. But don't forget, He gave it to us too." Ah. That's the tension. That's what we struggle with. See, we look at the. Go ahead. Oh, well, it's a little different. If you don't. No, go ahead. Okay. Um, well, I just wanted to say something about that section before we go into chapter 5. Okay. And I think that there's a difference between living communally and and this, this particular part, the way it describes it, because it says, I mean, people. I think communally is sort of like you sell everything you have and then all live together. So this, they didn't sell everything that they had. It's like as they had need, somebody sold a house or or a piece of property and then they distributed that to people who had need. So I think there's a little difference between those two. But I think it's really a matter of the heart. You know, it's when it says they didn't consider their possessions their own. And, and so it's, not just what you did, especially when you think about this next chapter. It's not what they did. It's a matter of the heart, you know, mm-hmm. that they didn't consider it. They didn't consider their stuff, their their own stuff for themselves, you know. So it was for everyone. So mm-hmm. it was, I don't know how to try to explain that. It but was voluntary, not compulsive. Yeah. In one in one sense, and I, that's a very good point to be made because because when we think about living communally, and when I when I when I point to you guys, because you're the only people I know in my entire life that have lived in a Christian commune where you actually were physically living together. Not all of these people physically lived together. That's not what they were doing. It, it was a, it, it, you're right, it was absolutely a heart condition. What they were doing is they, they were gathering. They were gathering together. They were gathering in homes. And it was, it was really the, the principle here and then and the application of it was that they were all together, meaning that you're, you're exactly right. What the, what the scriptures tell us is that if somebody had an, a need, not compulsory, but if somebody had a need, what, what did Barnabas do? It doesn't say that Peter said, hey, don't you have a field out there on Grand Avenue? Can't you go sell that thing? There's starving people over here that are believers now. They don't even live here. They, they, they live way down yonder, but they're staying here with us. But he didn't say that. Barnabas did this on his own. I mean, that was that was that's a spirit-filled believer. <laughs> you, you talk about you talk about a heart condition number one, 
and then you talk about stewardship of the resources because I think that I think that Barnabas knew that you see like the rest of them because this wasn't a, this wasn't a one-off this is going to happen more times where, where people were supplying as people had need okay a heart it was just a heart thing and and they they did it because they were spirit filled and they wanted to <laughs> they didn't have to in fact we're going to see that is what happens next this whole thing is just I love the history because it's chronological these things are building on top of one another aren't they this is the history of the church and so here comes the reality check the first reality check was the Sanhedrin was torqued and this thing was exploding and they were threatened and they didn't like it and they wanted to stop it because their livelihood was at risk their religious institution was was in jeopardy <laughs> because the thing was exploding this Jesus thing was exploding right before their eyes they'd never seen anything like this before and they couldn't explain it as we'll see and so how would you characterize the first church so far first century not this one the first century church how would you characterize it just a church well you just used the word explosive it's explosive very spirit Spirit filled, explosive, powerful, powerful, loving, bold, loving. Things were going pretty good. (laughs) It was excitement. Right, and even John and Peter had gone, you know, under the arrest, had been arrested by the Sanhedrin and got just a little slap on the wrist. So when they came back to their, their group, I think that that whole shaken thing, they were in, they were emboldened. It was an, an affirmation that God was sovereign, that God was the owner. Here, John and Peter had gone, you know, under the gun, and they'd been arrested, and, and got just a little slap on the hand. And so that was, I think they were emboldened by the Holy Spirit. And when, when the building was shaken, they could have all run out, you know, oh, you know, but they didn't. Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they they joined together. God was moving in that room somehow or another, uh, and 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 you're right. They were they were emboldened. And then they spoke the word of God boldly. Prayers answered. All these things are happening. It's exciting. There's there's all these things are happening, and 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 and, and even more emboldenment, as you said, because they went before the Sanhedrin and they didn't get their heads cut off. <laughs> right, and they were really mad. I mean, the Sanhedrin was. You know, uh, well, they already put Jesus to death. Yeah, who? <laughs> remember, and Peter reminded them of that. Yeah. That's the crazy thing. You talk about empowered by the Spirit. Now, here's here's a couple of Spirit-filled men that are standing before the Sanhedrin. The 72 against 2, don't forget. And they're standing there saying, and you guys, I don't know if there was a dais and they were all sitting there. I don't know what it looked like. But but I can see them. See, all you guys, all 72 of you, you put Jesus to death. Man, that's bold. And so now, now we're going to see that the church gets its first reality check. There is a reality check that's just about to take place here. Because, you see, everything up to this point was going pretty smoothly and it was all good news. There's no conflicts yet. There's, there's no problems, really. It's all been good news. It's going pretty smooth. Because these people were all filled with the Spirit. They were really living stewardship, weren't they? 
whatever. Whoever needed something, it was it was just provision was made from here. God spoke to people from here. John? You know, again, uh, the way I see this applying in our lives, in Romans 15, 7, Jesus says in red letters, if you remain in me and my word is in you, anything you ask the Father in heaven, my name will be given to me. And if the thing that's important to me in this whole thing is they were empowered because what they were asking for was for the glory of God, not for the glory of the new church. Amen. And, and that power is in us too if we're asking for it for the glory of God. Amen. Not to be bailed out. Hmm. So that to me, that's this is what you know, you talked about how this is alive in our lives, but you know, we must understand that whatever we ask for has to be first and foremost for the glory of God. Um, yeah, unless you unless you turn on the, the television today and people are <laughs> asking. Name and claim it. It's not everybody is seeking things for the glory of God first. No, but I think it's important. I think that's what this early church is telling us. Clearly. Now let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. I love this story. I think it's important to I re- love this story. Important to remember that many of these people uh, had heard the teachings of Christ and they were there when he was crucified and they saw him being raised from the dead and they, they saw him rise and so that was I mean they saw it and that's what they were proclaiming a lot of them didn't get it until the end there you know but it was yeah like, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay um, Jesus I got it now okay alright and so I think that's another reason why some of them were so bold well, when Barnabas sold his property, he brought the money just out of the... That was a spirit-filled thing. Nobody told him to do it. He just went and did it. He sold whatever he had there. Um, I don't know how much it was. I don't know any of that. I just know what Scripture tells us. And he put the money at the apostles' feet, and then they were going to distribute it to whoever had need. There was trust there. There was... there was. I mean, this was, this was, this was a man that was all in. And then, Acts chapter 5. <laughs> so the first word in the New King James, which isn't in the uh, NIV or the NLT or many other translations, the first word here is but. Because, as you know, I love biblical buts and therefores. And so the but is, but, after all these things were happening, the heart condition that Kathy was talking about, everybody had the right heart. They were all together. Selling possessions as they had need. It was all, man, this was a, this was a, church was good. But, but, so but what? The next story. Satan was still there, that's for sure. We know that. Well, he was the deceiver as usual. Because I'm sure they were good people, and they, but, you know. Who was good people? Ananias and his wife. Oh. So I'm saying they. Well, let's explore that. You're sure. You're sure. Why are you sure? But why were you sure they're good people, though? Well, because they're they're in the body. They're selling the land. They're going to give, you know, just like everybody else. But Satan deceived them. Oh, heard that one before somewhere. I don't remember. I don't <laughs> 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 right. <laughs> it was a garden thing. 
Yeah. Where they were all working so that they could all eat zucchinis together or something. <laughs> no, so, so we have this... Yeah, so what we see here is that there's but. But, even though everything was going good in the church, but we have this issue. Because this guy named Ananias, together with his wife, went out and they had the property on the other side of town, okay, and out there on Rice Road, yeah. and they sold that, and then they brought it and they brought it in, didn't they? No. Well, well they brought money. But they didn't bring all. What? It sounds like they said that they did. Oh. So, they said they did, but they didn't. Right. They held back. No, just don't lie to God. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, they just no. misspoke. Yeah. Sorry. Don't lie to the Holy Spirit. No. How, how, did, how did anybody know that they were lying? Nobody did, but the Holy Spirit did. <coughs> oh, well, who else did? Peter did. Peter was the one that confronted him. How did he do that? He was a real estate agent. <laughs> <laughs> he knew what it was worth. At that point, maybe there was no need, and they did it out of pride or to get, you know. Oh. The okay, hold on to that thought. Oh, that's a good thought. Hold on to that thought. But how did Peter know? It says in verse 3, Then Peter said, Ananias. What does he, he say to Ananias? Yeah. God must have told him. Holy Toledo. Peter said, How is it that Satan so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Oh, Busted. <laughs> but how did Peter know? What? Because he lied to the Holy Spirit. And, and, and Peter knew. Doesn't that seem significant that this is the first little conflict we have in the church? Things have been going so good. We all love each other. And man, the potlucks are great. And you know, um, somebody needed some furniture moved and it got moved. And somebody needed to borrow a car and that all worked out good. And then all of a sudden, Barnabas, because the backdrop for the whole thing here is Barnabas, he just went and sold his stuff and put it at the apostles' feet and they distributed it as was necessary and there was no... Th- I, I don't see any discussion about it on accounting or there's no spreadsheets or a bank. Uh, none of that stuff was involved. It was, just, it, was a, it was a spirit-filled, natural thing from the heart and now all of a sudden they, buy this, they sell this piece of property and Peter fronts them out and says, Man... You didn't really bring all the dough, did you? <laughs> but then what does Peter know some details? Very interesting. What does he tell him after he fronts him out and says, Hey, man. Why didn't you just... You know, it didn't belong to you to begin with. Well, he says it belonged to you, so when it was sold, after it was sold, mm. wasn't the money at your disposal... You could have done whatever you wanted if you, you could have come to us and said, I'm going to keep some of the money and kept it, and it would have been okay, but he lied. Oh, so what's the issue with Ananias? His heart. Oh, okay, his heart, and specifically? Deception. Deception. Deceit in the church. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> Happens today, too. 
These are real. It's all of a sudden there's real people in this spirit-filled church, and there's deceit and hypocrisy. Yes. Thank you, Jesus, because I feel so much better now. There's deceit and hypocrisy. Ananias sells it, and he and he's, he puts some money in his pocket, and he brings it to to Peter, and Peter knows exactly what's happening. I w- I'm going to tell you something right now. There are some people in the church that are gifted enough that when you think that you're fooling them, you're only fooling yourself because they and virtually everybody else around knows that you're a hypocrite and you're being deceitful. <laughs> I love that when I deal with people, I've said this a million times, I get to deal with people from time to time that have alcohol problems. They're alcoholics. And since I understand that world, you see... It's so obvious when they think that they're fooling you. (laughs) And they're not fooling anybody. Ananias wasn't fooling anybody. How is it that Satan has so filled your heart? Wow, what an accusation. There's a couple of points here. I think you hit it earlier. Were they required to sell this property? No. Well, in fact, it even says that in my notes, where it talks about Barnabas selling his property. He was a Levite. And the Levites were not allowed to own property in Israel. So he was from Cyprus. So he probably had to go back to Cyprus to sell it, then come back. Mm-hmm. Or have or send somebody to Cyprus to sell it. Whatever. All right. He couldn't mm-hmm. do that because the Levites were not allowed to own property. Okay, and so what's the difference between Ananias and, and right now, forget Sapphira, what, what's the difference between Ananias and, 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 and Barnabas? Just the heart, the deceit. Mm-hmm. Just one was deceitful. Clearly a heart condition. Kind of like Abel and Cain and Abel. Okay, and what could he have done, Ananias? Well, if he wanted to keep some of the money, he could have kept some of the money. He could have said, I sold it for this. I'm giving him this much. I'm keeping this. Yeah. Yeah. Or he could have done nothing. He could have just kept the property. Yeah. But he didn't do that. He conspired with his wife. These are church people. Another Adam and Eve thing. (laughs) They're church people. And here's the thing, you know. What what happened was, is he went and he sold the property, but he didn't have to. He could have kept it, or he could have sold it. He could have invested the proceeds in something else to make even more money. He could have done anything. He could have gone to his banker, and he could have... And all kinds of things could have happened. He could have remodeled his house. He could have bought a new car. He could have done anything he wanted. See, because there's nothing in Scripture anywhere that declares that your material wealth is a sinful or a bad thing. Nothing, anywhere, anytime, ever. Okay, so if, if there's nothing, anytime, anywhere, ever in Scripture that says that any of your material wealth is a bad thing or a sinful thing in and of itself, what's going on? Because there's also no... Go ahead. Pride. Pride. Ananias wants to hold back some of the money. What was his motivation? It's really clear, especially after we know what Sapphira did too. Remember they... What? Selfishness. Greed. Selfishness. Hmm. Were they testing God? 
Oh, it says that in just a second. Let's get there. Because there, the, the other thing is, is that, that I think is important, biblically speaking, is because there is never any declaration that your material wealth is a bad thing in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And what else? There's never a command in Scripture to give any specified amount to any kind of a charitable giving. If, you, if God puts it on your heart to give a buck or, or lots more than a buck because there's a need... Great! Do it! Because there's never any command for any specific amount to be given to any charity even within the church. I'm not talking about tithing. And isn't that, what they're, isn't that what's going on here? There was just heartfelt charity. Why then did they take their lives? Oh, that's a good question. Let's get there, too. Let's get there, too. Because up to this point, the church was quite spontaneous about their giving, weren't they? Can I, can I back up a little bit? Of course. <laughs> I kind of want to think about the whole um, history of Ananias and Sapphira. We're just, we come in here and we're all, all of a sudden introduced to Ananias and Sapphira. And I, I kind of wonder whether this giving of your things, it says you presented them at the apostles' feet. It sounds like it was maybe a part of a gathering where the apostles were there and then there was offering time or whatever. And maybe the apostles said, okay, there's certain needs mm-hmm. and everything. And then uh, somebody the next time says, you know, I brought this to meet this need and so forth. And of course, word gets around and whatever, as far, because if it was a public thing, word, word have got around. Mm-hmm. And so, so Ananias, if they were one of the 3,000 that were saved on First Peter's sermon, or one of the 5,000 that were saved <coughs> saved Peter's second sermon, had heard uh, Peter and John and the other apostles speaking on a number of occasions, and they were very clear about you give from the heart. You have to, you know, this is something that if God wants you to give, you give. And it doesn't mean anything to God if you give a, a, a million dollars, but it doesn't come from your heart and it isn't prompted by the Spirit. And I kind of feel that Ananias and Sapphira, uh, this was not a one-time kind of thing uh, that they had a pattern in this in their life. And it doesn't even really say here that they had the Holy Spirit. It said they lied to the Holy Spirit. But could it, they have lied to the Holy Spirit from what Peter was seeing and what Peter was hearing? The Holy Spirit that Peter had in him and what the Holy Spirit was witnessing to Peter that what the truth was. Do you understand anything? Yeah, good, good point. And so I'm, I'm thinking then that, and we're going to get into this, was this a harsh judgment on Ananias and Sapphira? Because when I... The last yeah, he's dead. Dead and buried. That's the definition of harsh, isn't it? <laughs> I see in the Old Testament where God had judgment at times on people for acts of disobedience. As Achan, when he was taking the goods that he was told not to take after the, they had uh, won this battle, and God had him and his whole household put to death. But... Uh, I think, and then the one who went out and picked up sticks on the Sabbath, remember how mm-hmm. he was judged? Mm-hmm. And it gives one or two examples of how people 
And I don't think it was a one-time thing. I think it was their hard attitude that had been experienced or had been shown over a period of time that they were habitually and living out a life of deceit. And so it looked to Ananias and Sapphira like this was a great opportunity to get in on something big and they could be, you know, have a, a part in it in a big way because there were already 8,000 people and who knows where it was going to go. It's kind of like what Judas, what happened to Judas. Because I think he felt too that Jesus would really conquer and, and get away from the, his accusers that he had betrayed him to and that he, when the new regime got voted in, so to speak, uh, that he would be in charge of a much greater amount of wealth. He would be the man in charge of the money. And so he deceived himself. Mm. And, and so Ananias and Sapphira. And does God have the prerogative to bring judgment at any time that he feels it is right and his, his purposes and glory are at, at hand? Is that a question? I'm, I'm throwing that out as a possibility, an option. <laughs> yes, he does. Okay. Because we are owned by him. Because we're, yeah. You're not your own. Now, that's really interesting because, because you just... <laughs> that was a lot, Robert. That was a lot. But, but, but I think... Um, let me try to do this the right way. <laughs> you may be reading more into this than is there, though. Because what, what, what does it say? There's a couple things that it does say. It, it, I don't know that it was a pattern. It could be a pattern in their life. But what are we told... Because, you know, there's an art and science of biblical interpretation, so we've got to be a little bit careful. I'm not suggesting that I know the answer to this. But what I am suggesting is, is that what it says is that Peter confronted Ananias and said, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? We know that Ananias was accused by spirit-filled Peter of having Satan in his heart. That's a fact. We know that. Okay? We know that Ananias and Sapphira were in on the deal because it was with her full knowledge that, An that Ananias has stuck some dough in his pocket. Okay? We also know that, that Peter continued this confrontation, didn't he? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And, and after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? And, and what made you think of doing such a thing? Have, you've not lied to me. You lied to God. Okay, step. now here comes the judgment piece. You didn't lie to me. I'm just calling you out. She lied to God. Because who was Peter? Who did Peter belong to? God. Lied to, me. lied to the Holy Spirit. How has he filled his heart? There's the contrast between Barnabas and Ananias right there. Now, was he a spirit-filled believer in the, in the church? Ananias? Doesn't say. But what does it say? Just what he did. But in, in 1 John chapter 3, uh, it, it's kind of an interesting verse there that uh, kind of maybe sums up maybe that question. Because let me just quote it for you. It says... Um, as he concludes this, it says, 
We know that whoever is born of God does not sin or habitually sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. So, how could Satan then come and fill his heart if he was a believer? We have unbelievers that come to church all the time. Of course. Okay. That's a very good question. Because now what you're doing is you're going back through the, the whole of Scripture, right? Which is always a good thing to do. But what we're not told is in this historical account is whether or not he was a spiritual believer. We are told that he is asked the question, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? Now, grammatically, we see that the question is in the form of accusation, which means that it is implied that Satan has indeed filled his heart. Now, we know from from the rest of scripture that if you are born again and spirit filled that you can't be demon possessed but that's not what he's accusing him here of. what is Ananias what does the Bible call what Ananias did sin it's sin who did he, he what did he do he lied who did he lie to? God. God. What was his issue? Pride. Pride. Why did he put some of the money in his pocket without telling anybody, but he got fronted out anyway? Why did he put the money in his pocket? What was his motivation? To serve himself. He was serving himself. What else? He wanted to, but he wanted to look like Oh, boy, did he want to look good. In front of, he probably got up in front of a whole boatload of people and said... Peter, I got some cash. <laughs> Look at me. Can't you see it? I see it. I, it's jumping out of the words. Man, he wanted to do it in front of everybody. In front of everybody. And it doesn't say that, but it's almost like it pours out of the pages at me here. That It was all about pride. It was all about looking good. It was all about being the dude. But... I'm going to make him think like I gave him the whole deal, man. But I don't know how much cash he held back. I don't know if it was 10% or 20 or 50 or 90. But he had a bunch of cash in his pocket. And it was pride. And so what happened in God's judgment? According, I mean, Robert, you said that does God have the prerogative to be judgmental at any time, any place? Anywhere for his purposes? This was not a good president in the church. What happened to Ananias? He dropped dead. Now, I appreciate the conversation you just had with somebody that said that God didn't do that. Well, how did that happen? What, did he have a heart attack? Is it a coincidence? Oh, give me a break. What's happening here... What's happening here? What does it say? Is it, does it say it's God's judgment? It doesn't. No, but it's implied. How? Well, because he says he's not lied to him, but she lied to God. And Peter was really uh, saying in doing that, and God. Whatever God wants to do with it, because you lied to Him. Yeah. 
Okay, okay, Scotty. So when we back up, it says from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Right. Okay. Well, he brought it, but he kept some for his need as he saw fit. Okay. Which was not honest. Clearly, he sinned compared to Barnabas, yeah. who out of, the, out of his heart, out of his relationship this way, Barnabas said, I, I don't need that property. I'm not compelled to do it. I just want to. I'm going to just go do it. And Ananias didn't do that. And when he did it, and he was and he was confronted about it, and he was told that, man, how the heck is? I mean, Satan has filled your heart here, Ananias. You have sinned. It's all about your pride. It's all about yourself. It's all about you want to, you want to look really good. Bam, he's dead. God's judgment doesn't say that. Doesn't say it, but I think so. What was what was the result? What was the result? Even if people didn't think that was God's judgment at that time, when the same thing happened again three hours later. Okay, so it says right here in verse five, and great fear seized all who had all who who heard what what had happened. They didn't have to see it; they just heard about it. Ananias was a dead duck, and and it was because he was. He was a liar, a cheater, and he was and he was deceitful, and he was he was filled with hypocrisy, and he was prideful, and he did it probably in front of a whole bunch of people, and now he's dead. I think he was testing and, God too to see how far he could go. Well, there is a test, and then it says in verse six, then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, because what did they do in the Jewish tradition? If you were dead, you got to go right away because. It's, it's, yeah, because yeah, you stink quick. <laughs> All right, so that's what they did. And so he dropped dead because he had lied to God. Holy cow. That's what's implied in the... It doesn't say that it was God's judgment, but what's implied is is that he lied. Not to Peter, not to the congregation. He, he lied to God, and now he drops dead. I love that. Not that he's dead. I mean, I just love the fact that it was... I mean, it was like that. Both of lightning. Well, now, because we got to deal with this judgment issue, because now all of a sudden, his wife comes in a couple hours later, not having any clue what had just happened. Three hours later, she walks in, and now she's going to pull the same trick. She's got the same issue, doesn't she? Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? You betcha. She's She's as deceitful and as big a liar as he is. And so what happens? He says, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Conspire to test. And so what's the accusation here? She conspired. I mean, she and they both knew what had gone on. And Conspiracy. They agreed to go in front of everybody and pretend. Okay. And what were they? Okay. But what were they conspiring to do? To cheat God. What was what does the text say? Were they cheating God? To test the spirit. To test the spirit. Careful, were they cheating God? They were trying to cheat. Well, yeah, God's anyway. <laughs> I just asked the question. I just wondered, were they cheating God? He got it. They were sin. They were holding money back. They were lying. They were hypocrites. Deceitful. All that stuff. How'd she get on the ballot? Were they cheating God? 
You can, talk, you can think about that later. But what they were conspiring to test the Spirit of the Lord. That's in the form of a question from Peter. Because he asked her a really important question, too. First thing, and if they wanted it to look like the Spirit of God was compelling them to give, give the money. Okay. What was Sapphira's condition compared to Ananias's in terms of her motivation? They were, they were, she was a co-conspirator, sir. So what was her, what was her issue? The same. Well, she, she the same. Confronted. What? She said, hey, did, you know, did you get, is this the price? The price is confronted, oh, well, you know, your husband gave us $1,500. Is that the price you got for the land? And she said, yeah. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. You know, and so. <laughs> yeah, man. So, well, right there. It says, <laughs> it says in verse 2, with wise full knowledge. Wise full knowledge. And in verse 9, Peter asked her a simple question. How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord. Don't miss the seriousness of the question. How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? What's a test? Because this is confrontation. Peter is being confrontational. What is a test? The accusation here is, are you testing the spirit? That's an accusation. Okay. What is a test? What does the word test mean? If you're testing the spirit. Don't miss this because I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not so sure that I haven't done this. Are there any consequences? Yeah, how much what? Are there any consequences? Okay, are there any consequences? How much can I get away with? How much can I get away with? Premeditated deceit. Premeditated deceit. The Greek word for test here, I had to look it up. The Greek word for test here means discovering the true nature of something by means of an experiment. What were they exper- What was she experimenting with? The nature of God. The nature of God. I love it. Um, Chuck Swindoll used this uh, uh, example in terms of the Greek word for, for testing. He said it was uh, like in the old days, if you got a piece of gold and you were going to, because they tr- it was money was gold, right? And they used to bite it. Bite it to see if it was false. Ah, it's good. It's gold. It's not fake. Okay. She was fake. She was testing the spirit. And her husband was accused of having his heart filled with what? Or by whom? Satan. Satan. Wow. Didn't come out real well for him, did it? No. So, <laughs> so, what, so what happened to her? Well, but he tells her Robert. First, he says, look at, the, look at the feet of the men that just took your husband out there, you know. Yeah, uh, three hours ago they walked him out of the door. He's deader than a duck. <laughs> he's dead, du- I mean, he's dumb dead yeah. because of what he did. Yeah. Was that God? You think so? What happened? What happened to Sapphira? What was the result? Bill, what, uh, can you say the definition of test? What was the definition of test? In the Greek, yeah. the definition for the Greek word test means. Discovering the true nature of something by means of experiment. Mm-hmm. That experiment mm. didn't go well. <laughs> discovering the nature of something. How could you conspire to discover the true nature of something by means of this experiment? Mm-hmm. Testing the spirit of, of the Lord? Found out. They found out. How how could you conspire? And did she answer the question, by the way? 
Didn't even have a chance, did she? She didn't even have a chance. What was the consequence? Well, she was testing the Spirit of God, and it was the Spirit of God that was either going to pass or fail. There's the implication, isn't it? That's why you can't have somebody sit here and tell you, no, God wouldn't do that in judgment. How could you say that God, how can you say that this result was not a true judgment of God when Peter himself, filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, understands exactly what these two were conspiring. He knew and was given that discernment by the Holy Spirit, confronted both of them. Once the confrontation was there and Ananias couldn't deny it, boom, he's deader than a duck. And then all of a sudden, Sapphira comes along, does the same thing. He asks her a slightly different question. How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? What's the implication in terms of what happened to her? Because she's dead as a doornail too. It was the Spirit of the Lord that caused her to die. At that moment. According to this, if I interpret this literally, she had lived long enough for Peter to say just a few words. Listen! The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. They're going to come to carry you out also. Bam! At that moment, she fell dead. I, I, now, you know, we're all theologians here. And we're, we're charged with trying to figure out, you know, what does this mean? Now, forget the judgment for just a second. What does this mean? It means God is going to judge for the purity of his church. Okay. God really wants the church to be pure. And okay. What is, isn't there a statement that judgment must begin first at the house of God? Okay. Well, I think that I think we'd all be dead. <coughs> if, if, God, if God was in his judgment mode, we'd all be dead. So. And they lied, and they were hypocrites, and they were deceitful, and they lied. They lied to God, and they tested, they conspired to test the Holy Spirit. That's the implication by way of a question. Okay? Remember, it's by way of a question. Peter just asked them the question, and now they're both dead. Wow. Is that judgment? I think the way the statement is, it, yes, it is. Because he goes, look. He asked this question, do you agree to test the Spirit of God? Look, you're dead. <laughs> You're dead, and then and then what happens next? Because then we can then we can really quickly because we got like two minutes. Great fear seized the whole church. And what's the significance of verse eleven? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of the knowledge. Oh. I think it was the same same thing that Kathy was saying. Or what's your name? Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that um, we'd all be dead <laughs> <laughs> if if God chose. But, and that's why I come back to the, the whole thing of Ananias and Sapphira, because there's a verse in Proverbs that says, He that being often reproved shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Mm-hmm. And I think that Ananias and Sapphira heard plenty of sermons and emphasis on the sincerity and the heart of their, their relationship with Maybe, God. but were they believers? Yeah, no. I don't think so. Were they sinners? Yeah. yeah. Okay, we can agree on that. Were they believers? Oh. 
What did God do after he killed them? What was the, what was the result? With the rest of the church. Yeah, twice in verse 5 and verse 11. It says, man, the whole church, every single, all of them. It says, and all who heard, not only the church, but the other people that weren't in the church. It says, and all who heard about these events. See, because there was a lot more people around than just spirit-filled believers. Now, does it say that Ananias and Sapphira were spirit-filled believers? No. Does it say that clearly they were hypocrites, deceitful, and sinners? Yes. And so the wake-up call happened in the church, didn't it? And I think if we just establish this argument for a second. The argument is that this is God's judgment. Let's... Let's just go there for just a second. If this is God's judgment and it is a reality check, what does it clearly show? About, and let's assume that they were both believers, too. It's God's judgment and they're both believers. What does it show? No, no, repentance. The, no repentance on that. Well... Okay, they didn't repent. They didn't have much time either. No, but they knew. That they knew. It was premeditated yeah. then. It, they knew. Okay, they knew. They sinned. They're dead. They knew it was wrong. They knew it was wrong. It was premeditated. They conspired. They asked questions. Peter asked them two different questions to get the same result. They're both dead. Well, the the result is the same. They're both dead. Three hours between oh. his death and her death. So for three hours, whatever she was doing, she had a chance to repent and come clean, and she didn't. Okay, now put this in the context. See, I love it, because see, you're all missing the point. Oh, I like this. I'm sorry we're going to be late. Because here's the point. The point is, is that you're thinking about this in the context of where you are as a believer right now. Think about the first century church. These people, everything's going great. Except this happens. And they're all together. The whole scripture here says that they came back to their own. The implication is that these people were saved. It doesn't say that they are. And I'm not suggesting that they are. But the implication is that they are. Because if you look at the context of the story of Ananias and Sapphira, it says that John and Peter came back to their own. They were all together with their own. And that's where this is happening. Now, could those two have infiltrated and not be saved? That's possible. We're not told exactly. But by implication, it looks like they might. Maybe they were saved. And maybe because they're believers, they're not immune from sin. But it's the first time that we see sin in the church. In this church? And it's like a heart check. Oh, man. So if they were born again, spirit-filled believers, what weren't they doing? Trusting, submitting, yielding, obeying. It's the first disobedience because the church, the whole basis and foundation of this beautiful church that God is building in the first century is they had been obedient. Now by implication, might they be saved? Ooh. It's worth thinking about. <laughs> We're not told, but it's worth thinking about because if they are, see, it, it clearly suggests that you can appear one way as a believer on the outside, and yet who knows the inside? God. And what did he do? They're dead. They're just dead. He took them out of the equation. 
<laughs> now, God, we, we can joke about it, but you see, and I'm just, we're going to end with this because it's five after eight. I'm just going to read something uh, to you that's one sentence long that I pulled out of Swindoll's commentary, which is one of the commentaries I'm using in my study. And he says, as relates to this story, this is just one commentary. He's just a man. But he says that he points out that God's grace doesn't make him soft on sin, especially in this case. That gave me a start reading that thinking, Ooh, what about me? No, because it, 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 we don't need to fear, but we need to contemplate more deeply these things, don't we? Is this God's judgment? Were they believers? We know the facts of their sinful behavior in the church. That's what I love about how God puts these stories in front of us. Because you see, character matters, and integrity matters, and sin matters, and what we're responsible for matters, and transparency matters, and being authentic matters, and we're all sinners, and that matters, and yet we should be together, because they were all together, and man, they had every opportunity, didn't they? Mm -hmm. Not to do this on a premeditated basis, but they did, and probably... It cost them their life as God judged in the very first church, the very first significant incident that took place before at least 8,000 believers. Wow. That's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, that's huge, isn't it? And we're not done with it because we we can still meditate on what God's trying to teach us through that. Sin is power. Right in the middle, you said, and we're all sinners. Mm-hmm. We're well, we need we're to seek God's will. They weren't seeking God's will. They were on their, they're on their own. <laughs> they were seeking their own. Absolutely. And it was premeditated. And isn't that the way sin works? When you've decided to do something that you know is outside the will of God, my guess is is that it's very few times that it's spontaneous. You've thought about it. I have. I don't want to project onto you what I do. But sometimes if I do or say or think things I ought not do or say or think, and especially in my selfishness, it's because I've thought about it already and I thought, oh, I probably should, maybe I shouldn't have, shouldn't have, and then I go ahead and do it anyway. And it's premeditated the same as this. Whoa, and they're dead. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> by God's grace and his mercy, I don't know about you, but by his grace and his mercy, I can sit here. It brings to mind what Nana Davis said. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. He had to study precedent. Because he couldn't let the church go. He certainly chose to, didn't he? He did. So I would disagree, just personally, and I could be wrong, but 
I personally would disagree with the, with somebody that would say that this wasn't God's judgment in the early church on two people that that I believe were were believers and they were in the church and that they willfully they willfully sinned and and this was God's judgment and He used it powerfully and I'm just suggesting that I can't support that completely biblically but but everything in me tells me that that's certainly highly likely certainly possible but I don't, I'm not positive because we're not told no I'm not positive because we're not told and so I I, I don't I, I just so what, what is the other possibility the other possibility is they weren't believers the other possibility is that 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 I mean the judgment oh the judgment piece what caused their death well what were you told Oh sure, they both had heart attacks. Piece of cake, man. They, you know, they had a high cholesterol, and it was a, they didn't have a good diet. No, she had a stroke, and he had the heart attack. It could have been one of many things. I'm just saying, is it possibly God's judgment? Yes. Yeah, take it. Take it. Take a shot at that. But it does. I really like the definition and what you said about testing the Holy Spirit because it seemed like there was a difference between like what you're talking about religion and the church, and that what you could get away with in like the Pharisees, what they could get away with, how deceptive they were. You know, talked about how you know they do things for show. And it's like God saying, no, that's not what's going to happen in the church. That's not going to fool the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it's not going to, I don't know how else to say it, but it's not going to, it was tested in the Holy Spirit saying, you can't get away with that kind of deception of the heart. I know the Holy Spirit knows the heart. And and it's just kind of purifying that in the church that whatever you think you could get away with before in religion, you can't get away with. God's church. Amen. And I and I and there, I again well said because I believe that what we know about this is this was the very first incident that we're told about. Luke is writing a history book here. He told us about this incident. It is very important. God wants us to know. Judgment? Probably. Believers? Probably, probably, in God's sovereignty, in providence, this is the result. We know elsewhere in Scripture what, what we're taught about, about confession and repentance. They didn't do it, but it's implied that they didn't even have a chance for God's purposes. No coincidence. And there's other times in Acts, too, where God does judge people like Herod Agrippa. When he got on the throne and, and he was orating and people were saying, oh, it's the voice of the God. And it says that the Lord smote him and he was eaten with worms. Yeah. yeah. Just mm-hmm. like that. Just like this. And he wasn't even a... So Hebrews yeah. says our God is a consuming fire in the sense of the, the judgment. Uh, we have to yeah. recognize that there's real judgment and, so, and there's real mercy too. Yes. Sobering. Yeah. Sobering. Okay, in the interest of time, thank you for thank you for for that. Good, it's good. It's good. It's good dialogue, isn't it? I think it's really important to understand what God is trying to communicate. And I would I would ask you to just pray, really, Spirit. What are you trying to teach me from from the life of Ananias and Sapphira here? Just in terms of, of my own hypocrisy, my own deceit. Because I got some of that. 
I mean, let's get real. Okay? Um, and, uh, you know, I haven't done this, but I've done other stuff. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. Okay, Lord, you know, forgive me. And, and, and thank you. How about gratitude for not being smote? Smoted. 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 Yeah. We're not dead. And that's a good thing. We have a second chair. That's a good thing.